I recently met a couple and he told me what he did in his vocation. And I looked at her and she says, I am, I'm only a mother. I wanted to take her to one side <laughs> and say what every mother here knows. There's no higher calling or more difficult challenge in all the world, more sacred than to be a mom. What do you have to do to be a mother? You have to be a cheerleader, a counselor, a lover to your husband. You have to be wise. You have to be a physician. You have to name everything you want to name in all the vocational areas. And I tell you, a mother develops or needs to have all those qualities because you are the heart and the life and the essential evidence of every family that is a home. Moms, we honor you. You are the highest realm of blessing to all the world. Thank you for sacrifice. Thank you for so many unseen, unknown things you've done. And nobody will ever know but God, but you can see it as it comes out through your sons and daughters. And that is the wonderful blessing and the unbelievable sacrificial challenge of all these mothers who are now standing. Let me pray for you. Father, not just on Mother's Day, but every time we stop and reflect, not that all these mothers are perfect, not that all of our mothers were perfect, but Lord, we're so thankful for these who paid the highest price of selflessness in order to love, in order to care, in order to see you, our Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, build into these sons and daughters of all these moms that purpose for which you brought life into this world. Thank you for these fabulous mothers who are standing. And we give this day to them. And most of us owe our life to them, our moms. Thank you in Jesus' name we celebrate these. Amen. Mothers have to do a lot of things, have a lot of giftedness, do they not? We've touched on a little bit of that. But let me show you how creative a mother can be. I'm going to show you a clip of a mother getting off a plane. She has a baby she's holding with her right hand. She reaches under the seat to get a little roll on. And then she has to get stuff out from the compartment above the seat. Watch the creativity of this mom very, very carefully. Hey, 
I want to see that again. Show that again. Show that again. She gets it down. She's got the baby. See the baby. Watch this. Does that challenge any moms that are here today? <laughs> Our scripture is found in the book of Exodus. In Hebrew, the first word in chapter one of Exodus is and, and. All this happened in Genesis, and. And then we move into Exodus. And I want you to notice what's going on, beginning with verse number eight. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Remember the setting. Most of us are familiar with the story. Joseph amazingly became number two in Egypt. And then at a time of famine, he all of his family, all the children of Jacob and all their children, grandchildren, came over to Egypt. They'd been there for two or three generations. They were prosperous. The land of Goshen developed rapidly. And look what the situation was here in our scripture. And he said to the people, Pharaoh, look, the people of children are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. Racism? And it happened in the event of war. War? And they also join our enemies and fight against us. Insurrection? And to go up out of the land. Exile? Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. Slavery? Verse number 15. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. What did he say? He said, the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded. What did he command? When you do your duties as a midwife for the Hebrew women, see them on the birth stews, the rocks in which they use to bring birth. And if it is a son, you shall kill him. Infanticide. To find it, the last verse. So Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, every son who is born, you shall cast into the Nile, the river, and every daughter you shall keep alive. Sound familiar? Those words? We look at ancient Egypt and we say, what a horrific land that is. Infanticide. A child is born, throw him in the river. Can you imagine such paganism? Can you imagine such heartlessness? Can you imagine such racism? Can you imagine such extremity that went on in a land that did not know the Lord God and set about killing and destroying a people 
putting down of people, eliminating of people, stagnating their growth. Can you imagine such a place ever existing on the earth as that? Egypt was a sane and sensible land, ladies and gentlemen, compared to the United States of America. Since 1973, Roe v. Wade was passed. In America, we have seen through abortion, which clearly defined is a child's murder in the womb of the mother. That's what it is. 63 million children have been killed in the place where they should be safer than any other place throughout their life. You say, that's a lot of people. Of all the people who are being slaughtered in Afghanistan, all the people who are now being slaughtered in war, take all of this number and all of those who are victim of genocide in Nazi Germany, Adolf Hitler, all the people that Joseph Stalin murdered, all the people that Mao in China murdered through genocide, and add them to everything that's happening in Ukraine today, and 63 million that we have legally murdered in the mother's womb is a greater number than all of them added together. Before I get into Roe v. Wade a little further, let me say something parenthetically over here to those females who probably at an early age, not understanding the ramification of pregnancy in life, had an abortion. By way of confession and witness, when I married, I was a virgin. Even back in those antique days, I was not sort of one of the guys. That's a fact. Now, but if a girl, when say 14 or 15, had gotten pregnant, whether I was a part or not, and that girl would have come to me and asked for advice, and if at that time, which it wasn't, it was legal and reasonably safe to keep from that life being disrupted, I, a Christian, quote, Christian, end quote, in that area of immaturity would have advocated abortion. That's my confession. So let me say that a lot of young people have given up the life of a child, an unwanted, an unexpected, an undesired pregnancy, and they did not know what most of us know today, and they did not have the maturity to understand 
the sacredness of life, God forgives, God cleanses, and that was a mistake of the past. Let me say that without thinking I'm standing up here as some super pious clergyman pronouncing judgment of those who at a young age made a tragic mistake as far as God is concerned and as far as life is concerned, okay? And I will show you what's happened today in our world. We know there has been supposedly a leak from the Supreme Court that evidently a ruling will come down which Roe v. Wade will be overturned. Now, a lot of the talking heads say, and it's tragic, and I hopefully will find out the source of that, but as someone who is on the side 100% of life, I am thrilled and pray that will become a reality. Unapologetically. In the process of this, a group called Cure, in cooperation with the CDC, in cooperation with the African-American pro-life group, they have presented a paper to Congress in this whole area of abortion, which is mind-boggling to me and is heartbreaking to all who know God and believe in the sacredness of life. Let me give you an overview of what has been revealed. Out of the 63 million abortions, African-American mothers number about 7% of the mothers in America. 40% of those abortions 19 million have been African-American children in the mother's womb. Do you realize what that means? It means that there has been a hidden racism operating in America to suppress a whole racial group of people. And it has been carried out under the banner of civil rights, as if it is a civil right for any mother, or I can roll my own body, to do what they want with, with that unborn child. Let me tell you something. In another way, that's exactly what the Dred Scott case did. You know the Dred Scott case? It's when the Supreme Court said to the Plantation owners, you own your slave, and the Dred Scott case instituted slavery as a legal stance in America. And they said to those slave owners, you can do anything you want to with that which you own. It's the same godless argument you hear today that women make 
where you can do anything you want to with that life that is within you. Ladies and gentlemen, let me remind you of something. Life then and life now is sacred. It belongs to God. And when conception takes place, it no longer is under our auspices. Of those 20 million, was there uh, another Martin Luther King killed? Was there another Thomas Sowell killed? Was there someone there who could have led us out of the bondage we find ourselves in as America today? Was there someone there who could have made such radical difference in medicine, in research, in the political area? There's 20 million. You know how many people 20 million? 20 million is roughly the population of the state of New York killed before the life left the mother's womb. By the way, you may not know this, the most populous nation in the United States is California, and you knew that, about 39 million. The second most populous state in America today is the state of Texas. We have about 28 to 29 million. The third is Florida. With about 21 to 22 million, and New York falls into 20 to 19 million category. But the whole state of New York would be filled by these murdered children. Planned Parenthood, oh, it's a great title. You know who founded it? Margaret Sanger. She is the philosopher of eugenics. What is eugenics? is the fact that you suppress different races. That's what Hitler did with the Jews, suppress an unwanted group people. And that's exactly what has happened today to a whole fabulously gifted group of people who are part of our America. It's heartbreaking to me. You say, well, I don't like to hear about that. We can't do anything about anything till we know what the problem is. And what you have here, who is funding all of this? I looked it up. Carnegie? Ford? Oh, Gates? Oh, who is forwarding this? Oh, we've got all of those. Right there in most of the black congressional caucus, the president of the United States, Jesse Jackson, they're all paid in this through Planned Parenthood. Where is Parenthood located in America? Right up next to the minority areas. It is the hidden racism since 1973 in America, and it is a tragedy and a sin against God, and it's on the conscience of our nation. I didn't want to say this, very hurtful for me because I'm a patriot. I love this land. But in the light of where we are, I don't believe Germany would have voted, I don't believe it, to exterminate those Jews. I don't believe they would have voted to do it. I don't think Russia even would have voted for the 
mass, mass murder and extermination of so many in Russia. I even don't think China in Mao's days would have approved the, the massive genocide that he participated. I don't think that. But in America, we have done it legally under our law and we have done it with something the other heirs of the world did not have basically and that's the Bible and the sacred of life that we're called as members of the family of God as Christians. We knew more. And the great tragedy is that we think we can vote and decide about life. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal under God by those inalienable rights. What are the inalienable rights? Or some say unalienable rights. It's a word that transitions there. It's the basic rights of humanity given by God. And the first one is life. And without life, you do not have anything else. I have sung from the top of my voice for a lot of years. Hard for me to say this. Listen to it carefully, take it home, think about it. I'm having a hard time singing. God bless America. Oh, why should God bless America? He has blessed us and we used our blessing to exploit those who were most down and most needed a leg up and help and love. And that's an indictment upon you and me. You can dodge it, you can rationalize it, you could say he's out of his mind, but that is where we are in this racism a different area to suppress a gifted group of people among us. And I can only say, God forgive us and God help us. And I trust that Roe v. Wade will be the law of the land, but it will go down to the individual states and then every state will vote up or down different degrees of abortion. Some states will not allow abortion. Some states will, about 50-50 right now. But the great tragedy is, in America, we're voting on life, ladies and gentlemen. We're voting on life. Human beings voted on, voting on life. That's the great indictment upon our generation. You talk about ancient Egypt? You talk about ancient Egypt? Do you know what saved the Hebrews from the kind of slaughter? Infanticide? Infanticide is death of a child outside the womb. Abortion is death of the child 
inside the room. Pharaoh used infanticide. The child is born, throw him in the Nile. We have used abortion before the child is born, still a child. We've taken a life. May there be a wake-up call this Mother's Day all over America as we in this church stand for life. Say it with me. We stand for life, life, life. And we do not apologize for it because life is a sacred gift of Almighty God. What happened in Egypt? Five heroines changed history. Five women whose name, I dare say, most of us, even though our church people, would know only one of the names. Five names. Five names. You ever heard of somebody named Shifra? Ever heard of somebody named Pura? Ever heard anybody named Jochebed? Ever heard anybody named Miriam? Ever heard anybody named Bithra? Five women there in Egypt, when they were faced with infanticide, with slavery, with prejudice, with bigotry, because the Israelites were growing, they needed to be suppressed. Let's look at those five women rapidly. You're going to see five tremendous women. We don't even know their names. Look back. It said, Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shifra, and the name of the other was Purah. And he said, when you do the duties of the midwife for a Hebrew woman and see them on their birth stools, if it's a son, you shall kill him. It says, but the midwives feared God. What did they do? They had faith in God. He said they feared God more than they feared the government. How important that is today. But the midwives feared God, verse 17, and did not do do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? Now, they had faith, and that gave them courage, right? Faith gives us courage, faith in a living God. And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives can come to them. Partly true. Therefore, God dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided Households for them. You see the pattern here of this first first woman we're honoring? She had faith in God. Because of that faith, she had courage to stand up against Pharaoh and his edict. And then she had what? Creative thinking. Creative thinking. 
She told Pharaoh, look, these babies were born before. Some was true, some was not true. You see how God used this, these two unnamed women who were midwives. And look at the next one we come to. It says, and a man was born in the house of Levi. And when it took his wife, a daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and had a son. Here's two believers, tribe of Levi, the pious religious tribe. She was pregnant, they were married, nuclear family. And can you imagine during that pregnancy when the edict of Pharaoh was, if a male child is born, throw him in the river? Can you imagine what they prayed for? Oh Lord, give us a female. <laughs> Did you see that? Not a male, oh Lord, give us a female. But a male child was born. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, the word beautiful there means sort of a special gift. And she hid him three months while she nursed him. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark, an ark of bulrushes, and the child put the child in it and laid it the reeds by the river banks. A woman of faith had courage planned for this baby, and she did exactly what Pharaoh said, throw the child in the river, and she did. She had faith, she had courage, and she had creative thinking, this mother did, this Jacobad. And then we have another fabulous, fabulous woman, that's Miriam. Miriam was, in all probability, the older child already born. Aaron was another child of hers. And the sister, Miriam, from afar off to know what should be done, the sister followed that little ark into the Nile. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe in the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, and sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child. Here's Miriam. Watch it now. 10 or 12 years old. She goes down there to watch after her three-month-old brother that's been born, knowing that if they find out, he would be drowned in the river. And she watched, and Miriam had to discern from Bithna. Who was that? That was Pharaoh's daughter. That was the princess. She was made. How she would respond to this unwanted death sentence pronounced on this Hebrew child. She had to read, read the princess to see how she responded. And when she opened up and the princess responded positively, knowing it was a Hebrew child, that's when Miriam, boy, what faith she had in God. What courage she had, a 10 or 12-year-old, and what wonderful creative thinking she involved. She went down there then, and as the princess must have held the baby, she said, do you want me to get a woman to nurse this child? <laughs> and and, and Bethna, the princess said, yes. And Miriam went back home and said, Jacobet, Mom, come down, we've got an assignment. 
you're going to have to nurse the baby. And by the way, the princess said, read it carefully, I'm going to pay you for it. What a deal, how God works in this world. And so, Jochebed went down, got the child, took it home for about probably five years so the child was weaned. Train up a child in the way that he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. In those five years, that mom built a principles of God in that little baby boy. And then what about Bithna? Hey, somehow the understanding of the sacredness of life from the Hebrews and their God, whom she'd seen all of their life, they worshiped and how they were blessed because they were true worshipers. She had faith in God and then she had courage to go and wait those four or five years until the child was weaned. And then the mother gave up Jochebed adoption to the princess knowing she could not bring up the child in Egypt. And so the courage of Jochebed to give the baby to the princess And then the princess had the courage to, with some critical thinking, navigate between this despotic Pharaoh who pronounced a death sentence. And then Moses was taught the highest form of education, the highest form of military strategy. He got a background in Egyptian culture, which was second to none at this moment in history. And by the way, It was Bithnah, the princess who named Moses, and the name Moses mean to be brought out of, to be brought out of the river. And Moses later on lived up to his name, and he brought the children of Israel out of exile into life in the promised land. How God works in the world, ladies and gentlemen. These five women had courage, had faith in God, and that faith in God gave them courage, and that courage gave them creative, critical thinking. And all of a sudden, what is the result? You have Moses, who was the most important person on this earth between Adam and in the garden all the way to Jesus in Bethlehem, Moses was the number one person to all humanity. And see how God preserved life through these five individual women who had faith in God, they had courage, and they became creative thinkers. Motherhood, the feminine world, the giftedness that is here. You know, that takes me back to Romans, have you been around Romans lately? Have you looked at Romans chapter number eight lately? Have we looked at Romans eight? All things work together for good to those who love the Lord and those who are called according to his purpose. Do you see it lived out in history all the way back in Egypt land? motherhood. Sacred calling. Highest calling, I believe, on the planet. 
reminding me of the African proverb which says, it takes a village. That's only part of it. The rest of the proverb says, it takes a village to raise a child. I would change that today and I would say, it takes a church to raise a child. We say here in the second family, we love kids and we do. And we love kids because we know it takes a church to raise a child. This is the reason we have gifted teachers. This is the reason we have those who love children. This is the reason this is a safe place for them to go in camp and Bible study because all that parents can do goes up to a point and then the church comes in and we become for a single parent or we become for parents that are not functioning properly. The rest of the story to see that they become everything under the power of love and nurture and care and tears and counseling and with the parents and with the children. That's who we are. We at second, we unapologetically, we love children. It takes a church to raise a child in the 21st century. The best people who serve in this church work with our kids, ladies and gentlemen. The best people work with our kids, your kids, my grandkids. Mother's Day. Mother's Day. Victor Hugo tells a story of a vicious battle that took place. It lasted almost four days. At the end of the battle, a captain and a sergeant was leading out of the battle a platoon of soldiers. They were in heavy woods. The captain looked over and saw some bushes moving, and he said, Sergeant, see what's behind those bushes. The sergeant goes over there and goes into the woods and brings out a shivering mother holding two little children. For days they'd been there during the battle and hiding. The children were fearful and they were cold and they were all obviously starving. And the captain said, Sergeant, give them something to eat. The sergeant reached into his pack and pulled out a little loaf of bread and handed it to the mom. And the mom took the bread and divided two pieces and gave one part to one child and one part to the other child and stepped back. The sergeant watched that and looked at the captain and said, could it be that she is not hungry? Could it be that she is not hungry? And then the captain in a husky voice said, no, it's because she's a mother. 